0: like we just need an invitation. It's good to be here. Um, I don't know of too many places that my wife and I feel as much at home as we do here at Mountain View. It's always been a, a joy and a delight and a pleasure to, to be with you, to present God's word. And love you, Pastor. Um, you are blessed to have a, a man of God that uh, truly presents and uh, The Word of God when he preaches. So um, if you're a guest here, don't judge the church by the fill-in guy. Uh, You come back next Sunday, hear the real preacher, okay? So if you have your Bible, uh, let me get you to turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3 is where we're going to kind of camp out this morning for a little while together. Uh, I'm not sure, but maybe the reason they like me out here is because I'm a short preacher. It uh, always gets you out on time, but now, man, we had a music service today, so uh, we'll, we'll see. You found your way there? That's good. I'm in the New King James. If, you, if it doesn't match up with what you have, that's okay. Um, it's God's Word, and we'll just trust Him to speak to our hearts today. You know, someone has said that the reason, the reason God uses sinners is because that's all He's got to choose from. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, the, Bible, the Bible gives us a, a, a clear confirmation of that statement. You don't have to read very far in your Bible. If you're doing a, a, a reading through the, the, the entire Bible, you don't have to read very far before you realize that, uh, that God uses sinners. Uh, he says them, He changes them, and He uses them. Uh, the, the, the resumes in Scripture are, are like reading the local police blotter. You think about it, you got Abraham the liar and Moses the murderer and David the adulterer and Jonah the rebel and the list goes on and on. I read a book by Max Lucado, if you haven't read it I'd recommend you do that, called No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. And he says it this way, he says it so much better than I can so I'm just gonna read it to you. Here's what he says. He says, on and on the stories go. There's Elijah, the prophet who pouted, Solomon, the king who knew too much, Jacob, the wheeler dealer, Gomer, the prostitute, Sarah, the woman who giggled at God. One story after another of God using man's best and overcoming man's worst. The reassuring lesson is clear. God used and uses people to change the world. We're gonna talk this morning about meeting God. About experiencing God in our lives and about sharing our experience with those who have never met God. If you're here this morning, you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about, is for you to come to know him as your personal savior. Uh, you know, so God, God just uses anyone. He uses uh, not su- saints or, or, or superhumans or geniuses, but he uses people. He uses creeps and crooks and lovers and liars, and, and he uses them all. And, and what we lack, he makes up for, because God uses people. And I don't think there's a story that's any clearer about that than, than this event with uh, the encounter of, of Moses with God, meeting God. You may be, you may be saying in your heart, well, but, but Brother Gene, you don't know me. And that's true. I, I, know, I know a lot of you, but I don't know all of you, and I, and I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk, but you may be saying, oh, you know, God couldn't use me. I want to tell you something this morning. Yes, he can. Not only that, he wants to use you. God wants to plug you in and use you to let people know about his love and his grace. And so as we look at the, the life of Abraham, we're just going to read through the first 10 verses. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. That's this is Exodus 3.1. I'm, I'm with you there. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, "'I'll now turn aside and see this great sight "'and why the bush does not burn up.' "'So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, "'God called to him from the midst of the bush "'and said, Moses, Moses.' "'And he said, here I am. "'Then he said, do not draw near to this place. "'Take your sandals off of your feet "'for the place where you stand is holy ground. "'Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father.' the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land of to a, to a good and from that land up to a good and large land, a land that flows with milk and honey, to the place where the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up to me, and I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians have, how the Egyptians have oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Wow. You know, I asked myself, what was God, what was, what, was, what was Moses doing when he met God? Well, according to what we see there in verse one, he was, he was herding sheep. Well, how long had he been herding sheep? That's a good question. Stick your pencil, your bobby pin, or whatever you have in Exodus. I just want you to see a verse over in Acts. This will help us. In Acts chapter 7, if you don't want to turn there, I'll read it to you. because It won't take us long. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 23, it says, Now when he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Remember, he went out, he saw an Egyptian oppressing them, he killed the Egyptian, and he fled. He was 40 years old when he left Egypt. Now drop all the way down to verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, an an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush. So from the time he left Egypt till the time he gets to the event with the meeting the Lord, 40 years, this man was 80 years old. This man was 80 years old. Some of us think just because we're getting up in age, we don't have to do anything for God anymore. You know, we've done ours, let's leave it to the young people, let's leave it to the young couples, let's leave it to somebody else, and that's not what the Word of God teaches. Moses was doing what he had done for 40 years, following a bunch of sheep around in the wilderness. Now, I don't know how many of y'all have ever been to Israel. I've been blessed to go there several times. And there are still shepherds following sheep around in the wilderness in Israel. You can, you'll see them if you go there. In fact, you probably what, what I'd recommend you do is get Brother Sammy aside and say, Look, you need to take a group of people to Israel, and we want to go. But you ought to see it for yourself. They're still, and it's the most boring job in the world. I mean, you just follow them these sheep around and he's been doing it 40 years he could have surely retired by now (laughs) that's when he met God somehow we've we've got this this vision that that when I experience God there's going to be fireworks and there's going to be bells and there's going to be whistles and it's going to be an emotional jarring experience more than likely more than likely When you meet God, it's going to be in the routine. Doing the things you've been doing for month after month and year after year. God is more likely to meet us in the quietness of the moment. Like Samuel. Than to knock us down like he did Saul on the road to Damascus. Some of you ladies. It might be while... You're chasing dust bunnies under the bed or while you're changing a dirty diaper or preparing a meal and there's going to be a movement a strange movement in your heart it's going to be god he's going to call something to your mind he's going to call a friend that doesn't know christ or a neighbor or a, a, a shut-in or a widow or a widower God will move in your heart and in your life in these quiet, everyday moments. Guys, it might be, you may be out there under your car changing the oil. Or you may be mowing the grass on a hot summer day. And all of a sudden there's this tap on your shoulder and you turn and you look. And it's God. And he's calling something to your heart and to your mind that he wants you to do for him. And we need to be like Moses, we need to be available. God meets us in the routine. Second thing is this, God meets us in the person of his son. And you can see that very quickly there in that second verse. And the angel of the Lord. Now this wasn't just any old regular run of the mill angel. If you, if you could see the Hebrew text, one of the things you'd see there, there's a definite article on the word angel. It's the angel of the Lord, which means it's the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jehovah God himself that meets with Moses. It's very clear. Look look at, uh, for instance, let me show you. Verse 4, it says, so when the Lord saw, the Lord, all capitals, that means in my Bible, it's all capitals, that means it's that's Jehovah. It was Jehovah God meeting with moses and so god called to him out of the bush verse six again i am the god of your father verse seven the lord said to him who is this angel of the lord this was jesus it was jesus the pre-incarnate that means simply before he was born in bethlehem appearance of christ it was christ that appeared there god always meets us in the person of his son He wants you to experience his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted him as Savior, that's what God wants. When God meets man, it is always in the person of the second person of the Trinity. And God has intentionally put the focus on Christ because Christ was the one that was predicted from the Old Testament to be the one who would come and die for the sins of the world. So he meets us in Christ. If you're going to meet God, if you're going to know God, if you're going to experience God, it has to be in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see is God meets us in the routine. He meets us just in in a common, normal, everyday event. Second thing we see in this text is he meets us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing is this, and this is what a lot of Adventists don't like. When he meets us, he expects us to respond to him. You can see it there in, uh, in, that, uh, in the third verse. Then Moses said, now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Well, let's pause there a second. Do you all really think this may have been the first burning bush Moses ever saw? I don't think so. The reason I say that is because, you know, uh, bushes in the wilderness, in the heat of the desert of Israel, if you've ever been there, you'll understand this. They could catch fire. But what caught his attention was the bush is burning. But it's not burning up. There's flame there, it looks like. But the bush, as you can see what he says, I want to see, verse 2, the very last, why the bush was not consumed. Verse 3, why does this bush not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, he called to him from the midst of the bush. God wants us, when he touches our lives, he wants us to respond. I think think there are a lot of people who are ineffective for the Lord because they never experience that encounter. They, They never see the uncommon in the common. You know what we do? We write it off, not as God working in our lives, not that God is trying to get our attention, We simply say, it's a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that I have a heavenly father and a savior who is so concerned about my life and how he wants to use me and what he wants to do with me, what he wants to do in your life, that he puts all the the events together to kind of get us to where he needs us. Um, Okay. Easter egg hunts. Do y'all, how many of y'all know about, about Easter eggs hunts? Let me see. Give me a hand. Just see it. Easter egg hunts, you know, okay? All right. You've seen this happen. Easter egg hunts. Little kids, little ones. Now we're talking about five, six years old. We're talking about three, four, okay? And you're out there and you're watching, and they're looking. My goodness, there's an Easter egg right there. Can't they see it? You know what, you know what a parent does? Daddy will kind of nudge him over there till they see that Easter egg. Okay, you've done that, haven't you? Some of you are smiling, so you know what I'm talking about. I think my Heavenly Father does that. There's things He wants me to see. There's things He wants me to do, and He kind of nudges me over there till finally I'm smart enough to see it. That's what God, He, he meets us. And he expects us to respond to him and to carry out those commitments that he has for us. This is a it's an interesting statement. This, this word for bush. Now I'm one of those guys that I'm kind of like your pastor. I I read that and I'm going like, okay, what's, what's the deal with the bush? So I looked. And guess what? That word for bush is only used one other time in, in all of the Old Testament. One time. The same word is only used one other place. You need to see it. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Deuteronomy, chapter 33. Deuteronomy 33. I'm getting there. And verse 16. Deuteronomy thirty-three, sixteen. 16. That's what it says with the precious things of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Now, that'll just really rattle your cage. I mean, doesn't that get you all excited? Doesn't that just bless you all over the place? You're going like, what is the man talking about? No, you go like, what? Why is that important? Well, here's what's important. The favor of him, capitalized, means God, who dwelt in the bush. Ah, dwelt in the bush. Found that that word, to dwell, is used in a very special way. Exodus 24, let me read it to you. Now the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. Same word. The glory of God that was on Mount Sinai, they saw that burning fire, what we call the Shekinah glory of God on Mount Sinai. The Bible says that's what was in the bush. It was God's glory that Moses saw, not a fire that didn't consume the bush. He saw the glory of God. Same exact Shekinah, if you remember, that moved into the temple of of God in the Old Testament under Solomon. The glory of God came and dwelt in the tabernacle. That's just kind of the burning. And then remember, as the people sinned, that glory left the temple and went upon the Mount of Olives, just like Jesus did, and then ascended back to heaven. And the glory left the temple. But on the day of Pentecost, do you remember what it was they saw over each other's heads? A flame like fire, not a flame of fire, a flame like fire. The Shekinah, the glory, the presence of God no longer dwells in a church building. He dwells in the church. That's us. And that's what he's showing us here with Moses. And what God has done is he's come to live in us. And because he lives in us, he wants us to respond to him when he calls. And when we do, there's a requirement. Look again. Verse 5. Then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Now what had Moses been doing for 40 years? Walking. Walking behind sheep ever walked through a barnyard yeah you understand what I'm saying his sandals weren't pristine his sandals were soiled and when God calls us and when God empowers us and when God wants to use us what he needs is an instrument that is pure before him we need to be people who have confessed our sins and opened our lives to that one who lives in us and wants to use us. There's purity in his presence. God meets us in holiness. And there's some people that they don't understand why God hasn't used them. I can tell you why. Because they're a soiled instrument, they need to take off those filthy garments. They need to allow the forgiveness of God into their lives. They need a cleansing from sin. That's when God uses you. There's always, write it down, there is always cleansing before the commission. Always. For instance, Isaiah 6, let me read it to you. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, here's what he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, when did he hear the voice? After the cleansing, he heard the voice that says, who will go for me? And he said, I will. I will. And I think there's times when when church members, when believers in Christ, because they've allowed Corruption in their life. They've never dealt with sin. And they, they wonder why God doesn't use them. I can tell you why. It tells me that there needs to be a cleansing before there can be a commissioning. God wants to use us. And when he meets us, not only does he want us to be holy, but God wants to use us in his service. I love this, because I'm sure Moses is saying to himself as he hears God talk, you know, God says, well, oh, you can look at it there, verse 7. The Lord says, look, I've seen the oppression of my people who are Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrow. I have seen, I have heard, I know. Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them, and Moses is going, yay, Lord! Till one point, till verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I'll send you. You see, when God meets you and God cleanses you, He commissions you to go. A lot of us don't want to go anymore. Say, we're like Moses. Well, I put in my 80 years, God. I'm retired now. No, you, you don't retire till you stand before the throne. That's when you retire. There's a place for everyone in this auditorium this morning to plug in and to serve God. I know you've got something coming up called Friend Day. And some of you are going to say, well, I'm going to sit that out. No, don't sit that out. It may be God's way of calling you to a place of service. God's call, see, doesn't have to be called to to a limelight. Doesn't have to be called to a, a you know, a, a, a limousine ministry, folks. It could be that, that whispering deep down in your soul, and you know, that he expects a response. I think one of the major problems in our churches today is that they think they've hired a minister. Well, he's, uh, he's supposed to uh, visit the sick and uh, visit the visitors, bury the dead, do sermons, do weddings, teach discipleship classes. That's why we hired Brother Sammy, isn't it? And he's supposed to do all that? Folks, that's not, not biblical and it's not scriptural. You check it out. What a preacher's supposed to do is pray and minister the word. Who are the ministers then? You are. And God wants to meet you and minister through you. Will you respond? That's the question. Let's pray together. Father, we've looked at your word this morning. And it always challenges us. It makes us uncomfortable. Some of the words we've heard were not words we wanted to hear. And yet the truth is that you want to use us. That you want to take our lives and change lives. So I pray you'll give your people today an open heart and a willingness to say yes. God, When you call, I'll respond. I'll respond by confessing and forsaking my sin. I'll respond by saying, yes, Lord, send me that Christ will be glorified, that the kingdom will be expanded, that we might see the glory of Christ in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name.